This is Remembering Yugoslavia, the show exploring the memory of a country that no longer exists. I'm your host, Peter Korchnak. There are few places where the past is used for political purposes more than in the countries of former Yugoslavia. Among them, Croatia is at the top of the list. The 2019 Holocaust Remembrance Project report gave Croatia a red card for revisionism, listing it among the European countries with the worst record. The authors noted that, quote, Croatia continues to have difficulty coming to terms with its wartime past under a Nazi collaborationist government. While World War II history is the most contested, the period of Socialist Yugoslavia and the ensuing Croatian War of Independence roused passions as well. Visiting state-run museums around the country, you might think Socialist Yugoslavia either never existed or was a totally dark or insignificant period in Croatia's history. Thousands of World War II memorials, built mostly in the 1960s and 70s, have been destroyed or damaged. Balkan Transitional Justice Initiative has concluded that the 1990s war continues to cast a shadow over contemporary society. The recent 25th anniversary commemoration of Operation Storm, the Croatian military's campaign in which hundreds of Krajina Serbs died and hundreds of thousands fled, stoked tensions yet again. To borrow Faulkner's words, in Croatia the past is not dead, it's not even past. Here to shed some light on all this is my guest Hrvoje Klasic, a Croatian historian and professor at the University of Zagreb. In his work, Klasic focuses on post-World War II Yugoslavia, people's perception of and dealing with that history, and, inevitably, historical revisionism in contemporary Croatia. In 90s, with, with, uh, with democratization, actually nothing crucially uh, changed, but this black and white narrative became uh, white and black. Klasic's views spring from his mostly positive experience and recollection of Yugoslavia. People in, in my street, we know each other, we were helping each other, and I don't know, it, it was in a way some kind of security. I really should have said celebrity historian. Klasic publishes a lot, makes a lot of appearances, and gives a lot of interviews in the media both in Croatia and in other countries of former Yugoslavia. You could say he's the media's go-to critic of aggressive nationalism, chauvinism, and historical revisionism in Croatia. He is so well-known that pretty much everyone I mention his name to in ex-Yugoslavia knows of him and his views. On the flip side of his notoriety stand anonymous threats of violence, even death, he frequently receives from the far right. On one hand, people are approaching me on the street and uh, saying me, uh, thank you for, you are so brave. On the other hand, there are guys uh, approaching me that I'm a traitor. A 1980s president of Yugoslavia, Tito's corpse, and Rakia Gazling neighbors also make an appearance. A quick note before we get to it. When Hrvoje refers to the war, he means the 1991 to 1995 Croatian War of Independence, which followed the disintegration of Yugoslavia. He refers to World War II in full in all instances. Professor Hrvoje Klasic, you have a new book out in Croatian about Mika Špiljak, a distant relative of yours and also a one-time president of the rotating presidency of Yugoslavia in the 1980s. I'd say he is virtually unknown in the West and not exactly a household name in today's ex-Yugoslavia. Why was it important to you to dedicate an entire book to him? Yeah, actually he was far more than uh, my relative and uh, president in one term. His second wife and my grandmother were sisters. But that was really not a reason why I decided to write a book. The, the main reason is that uh, one guy who was born uh, very poor in 1916 became one of uh, prominent uh, political figures in socialist Yugoslavia. Uh, but his career started even before the war. 
So from mid-30s, he was an um, active member of Communist Party, which was at the time illegal. Then he was uh, one of the founders of uh, First Partisan Squad, anti-fascist squad in Yugoslavia in uh, June 1941. After the war, I can't remember a position uh, he didn't hold. So he was the president of the party, mayor of Croatian capital Zagreb. He was uh, president of uh, worker union of workers, president of government, republican and then uh, federal government. He was president of uh, after Tito's death. He opened Olympic Games in 1984 in February. So I think he was a very interesting person, and that was one reason. But the other reason is actual situation in Croatia today with this revisionism. Everything what happened between 1945 and 1990 is uh, percepted as, as a bad time, as a prison, especially for Croatians. And my opinion is totally opposite, not because of my uh, subjective uh, feelings, but because of my uh, researches. And I think that is one of the most interesting, most uh, influential periods in Croatian history. And he was active and very important part of that system. And what has been the response from the Croatian public or the media to the book? I mean, especially given the historical revisionism you are referring to, and given generally the relationship of Croats to former Yugoslavia. It's interesting that this revisionism is uh, maybe absent in historiography and in uh, among uh, historians. It's, it's more present uh, among uh, politicians, among uh, journalists, among, I don't know, uh, ordinary people. There were no, let's say, attacks on my book uh, uh, from my colleague historians who, let's say, disagree with some thesis or with uh, some uh, facts, interpretations. But uh, there, there are many, many attacks from very far-right-oriented uh, people writing me letters, writing letters to publisher, writing letters to all dailies uh, we which are uh, publishing interviews with me about the book. From 1945 to 1990, there was a black and white narrative with good guys and bad guys, uh, with demonization and glorifications. Dealing with the past was very tendentious, very selective, very ideological. You know, on one side, good guys were communists and uh, all who were supporting them, and bad guys were all who were not supporting them. In 90s, with, with, uh, with democratization, Actually, nothing crucially uh, changed. This black and white narrative became uh, white and black. So uh, those who were bad guys, they became good guys. Uh, those who were demonized, they are now, now glorified. And it's, again, uh, selective tendentions and very ideological, not communist, but nationalist ideology. So we are very divided society today. And what is really uh, strange, we are not divided about the future. Uh, we are not divided about economy, about taxes, about healthcare. We are divided about the history. There are no differences between two main parties, social democrats and democristians. If you ask them about foreign policy, economical policy or whatever, but if you ask them about, I don't know, role of partisans or ustashas, role of Tito, Tujman, uh, war crimes, there will be differences, not only on political level, but also in everyday life. Let's talk about the societal division in Croatia, about history, about the past. 
In one recent interview, you said that the Croatian society had undergone a collective lobotomy about the past. Can you elaborate on that? What's going on in Croatia is really repeating what was going on after the Second World War. 1945 uh, was proclaimed as a zero year and a pivotal moment and nothing before that was really important in history of Croats, Serbs, Macedonians, Slovenians, whatever. In modern Croatia, uh, we repeated the same mistake and we proclaimed 1991 as a zero and uh, everything before that is not important. Not that it's not important, but it is bad. And all good stuff started with 1991, with democratization, with new uh, ruling party. And all before that was bad, especially because comparing, for example, Czechoslovakia, comparing Hungary or Poland, this transition from communism to democracy didn't pass peacefully, but Croatia gained its democracy and independence through the war. And it was a war against the state, Yugoslavia. It was, in a way, war with the communism. So, because of, of that, everything connected with Yugoslavia and communism became bad and became black. So, today, it's very uh, hard to talk about good aspects of that 45-year period. And what is unbelievable, that historians, sociologists, political scientists, but also witnesses of, of the time from, from all around the world are dealing with that period of Yugoslavia as really one experiment between East and West. And they find Yugoslavia not behind Iron Curtain, it was not usual communist state, also not democratic. So that Yugoslav experiment became popular to anybody and everybody, but for us who were living in that society, in that country. And it's really strange uh, situation, not only that we are not dealing, but we are dealing totally wrong. In what way? Because of war and because of role of, for example, political prisoners, and especially because of the role of political immigrants, immigrants from Croatia, uh, so who emigrated after 1945, but also in 60s and 70s. A quick point of clarification. What Harvoy is talking about here is people who emigrated from Croatia during the socialist period for various reasons. Their role in society in the beginning of 90s became very powerful. And their narrative about Yugoslavia was totally bad. And uh, Yugoslavia was, to them, hell on the earth. So they tried to convince all of us that we were also living in a kind of hell, in the prison. And since they are in leading uh, positions in Croatia, that's the reason why I once said that they are trying to lobotomize all of us. We are not talking about situation in Nicaragua in 1936. We are talking about situation in Yugoslavia in 70s and 60s, in 70s and 80s, and there is really a lot of people who remember that period. So you can come from Argentina and from uh, United States or from prison and said, "Oh, I, I think that Yugoslavia was very bad." But you know, for for you maybe it was. But for millions of people, it wasn't. It was something totally opposite of a prison. 
So how to deal with that? The, the problem is that, you know, people are afraid to talk about it. And that's the reason why historians like myself, who are minority, become popular. Because there are not a lot of us and people want to hear another story about, about their history. In all my conversations with people in former Yugoslavia, the negative view of the socialist period is actually quite difficult to find. I'd say there is a positive perception or a positive recollection of Yugoslavia among the general public, regular people, at least on some level. Is it an expression of nostalgia, or a reaction to the present situation, or just a matter of uh, my asking the questions? Croatians, but not only Croatians, but ex-Yugoslavs, so Slovenes, uh, Serbs, Macedonians, they were living in a very interesting uh, uh, society, interesting country, uh, which was communist. It wasn't democratic with uh, free elections, but it wasn't a Soviet type of country. Uh, Yugoslavia uh, has never been part of Eastern Bloc, Warsaw Pact, but it wasn't also member of NATO. So it was one of the uh, founders and uh, prominent players in non-aligned movement. And uh, what is more important for those who were, let's say, born in 1920, in Kingdom of Yugoslavia. And you can choose any small town in Slovenia, Bosnia, Croatia, or Macedonia. They were born in, in one of the poorest countries in Europe, Kingdom of Yugoslavia. They couldn't imagine that their kids could uh, uh, be educated in, in high school, especially universities, or for PhD. They couldn't imagine free healthcare, I don't know, vacations, and uh, better living standard. And then... Second World War was really a bloody war here in, in the region. And after the war, during the communist period, standard of living from year to year uh, became better and better. It was normal that you, if you are from the poor uh, family, that uh, your kids could go to universities or to PhDs. It was normal to go to hospitals for free. Uh, it was normal to go to, I don't know, summer vacations, winter vacations. So many aspects of life became unbelievably better than it was in 30s or 40s. So for those people, Yugoslavia was industrial, uh, very strong industrialized, let's say, comparing with pre-war period. So a lot of jobs, good standard of living, and what was different comparing uh, other communist countries in uh, Eastern Europe, all Yugoslavs, or let's say except maybe political prisoners, but great majority, they had passports. So they could travel all around the world, almost in all countries without visas. So, you know, if we are talking about that, it was for sure for great majority of uh, people, it was a good and secure period of life. Of course, there were no elections, there were no multi-party system, but you know, there, there were some other aspects of, of life which were better than, than they are today in capitalism and in democracy. What else? You know, after 1945, after the, uh, the end of the war, every year was better and better. In today's Croatia, or in, in today's Serbia and Bosnia or whatever, after the war, so we are now in 20 years after the war, or even more, it's not that every year is better and better. 
so for those people who who remember how they were prosperous from year to year, of course it's a it's a the reason why they remember that part of their life as something which was not black and white and which was not just a prison. What about you personally? What do you remember? What does Yugoslavia from 1945 to 1991 mean to you? I can't remember 1945. Uh, I was born in 1972. What I remember was, let's say, a funeral of Josip Broz Tito and the day when he died. It was uh, May 4th, 1980. And I remember everybody's crying and, you know, it was not totally clear why they're crying. So uh, his funeral was on May 8th. In 1980, and we in my building, it was not a huge building with maybe 10 apartments, but we all gathered in one apartment because they only they got color TV. And you know, it, it was funeral with a lot of flowers and everything. And so, what, what I keep in mind is that all fathers were in the kitchen, they were drinking rakia or whiskey or whatever, and all mothers with children were in room with TV and they were crying. I was young, uh, so when war started, I was 18 years. So I think childhood is, um, you know, everywhere the best part of, of your life. But, you know, comparing to today's, what, what, what was better, we really didn't care about nationalities, about religions. And I think that this sense of solidarity is much, much bigger. We were Always, almost every day, we're helping each other in some organized activities or non-organized people in, in my street. We know each other. We were helping each other. And I don't know, it, it was in a way some kind of security. Yes, I can understand those who were singing some wrong songs and then they were imprisoned. For them, of course, it wasn't sunny time of their life. But, you know, for, I think for millions of people who understood reality, the life uh, was not so bad. In another interview, again in Croatian, you mentioned there were actually two Yugoslavias. What did you mean by that? And in what way does it matter to you and generally today? As a historian, but also as a citizen, I realized that uh, during this communist period, there were parallel universes, there were parallel worlds inside one society. You know, I've never met anybody who went to church, uh, who was religious, who was a nationalist. And then during the war and immediately after the war, I realized that around me, in the same time, there were really people who cared about all this stuff, about religion, about nationalities. For example, I'm from Sisak. It is a town... 50 kilometers from, from Zagreb, but it's, let's say, 50 kilometers from Bosnian border. And it's mixed uh, region with a lot of Serbs, a lot of uh, Muslims from Bosnia, and a lot of majority of Croatians. Villages close to my town, they were villages with Croatian and villages with Serbian majority. Guys from, from these villages, they were going to school with me. Or later, they, their fathers were uh, working with my father or mother. But, you know, after the dissolution of Yugoslavia, they told me that they were together only where they should be together. For example, in schools, on the job, but 
when there were weddings, when there were birthday celebrations, when there were some parties, they were separated. Croats with Croats, Serbs with Serbs. So, you know, for me it was shock. Because I grew up in, in the center of town and there were Serbs, uh, Muslims and Croatians. And I never, or my father or mother never asked me, oh, your girlfriend is a Serb, oh no, please try to find Croatian. But actually I realized that there were uh, really parallel worlds. So in the same time, uh, there were really different uh, views on everyday life. So that societal division about the past and the war of words, as it were, about it helps explain that a historian would be receiving death threats about things he says in the media. How do you, as a public figure, deal with death threats you receive simply because you speak your truth or present your scholarship or, you know, do your job? Before I answer, uh, it's really interesting. Uh, last year I was in uh, Denmark in Aarhus University giving some lectures and I asked uh, students of history if they know any Danish historian, uh, how does he look like? And they were very confused. Why should we know how historians look like? Uh, why did I ask them that question? Because in the last few years, I became, let's say, a celebrity in, in this region, not only in Croatia. For example, when I'm in Belgrade or in Sarajevo, people on the street, they want to take a selfie with me. People in, I don't know, securities in some shops, uh, policemen, regular people all around the region, they recognize me from the television, from uh, newspapers, from uh, portals, because I'm giving, I think I'm giving more, much more interviews than some movie stars and sportsmen in Croatia or in region. So, it is, of course, as uh, society is uh, divided, these approaches are divided. So there are really fans. And uh, I think a few years ago on Facebook, a uh, fan page uh, was uh, opened. They never contacted me. I don't know who uh, did it. But so on one side, there are those who are glorifying all I'm doing. Uh, they are uh, fans and they call me voice of reason and uh, whatever. But on the other side, there are uh, those guys who are very, very mad on me because, you know, I'm dealing with their uh, narrative about history and uh, their, let's say, truth. And what is the worst for them? I'm from 100% Croatian family. And in 1991, I was volunteering the war. So, you know, if you are in Croatia, Serb, and you are dealing with some Croatian myths and uh, dealing with some crimes committed by Croatians, then, you know, you are Serb. But if you are a Croatian, if you uh, were volunteering the war and uh, asking wrong questions and giving wrong answers, then you are much bigger problem than anybody will expect. So, on one hand, people are approaching me on the street and uh, saying me, I don't know, uh, thank you for you are so brave. On the other hand, there are guys uh, approaching me that I'm a traitor and I'm uh, anti-Croat and so on. And, of course, escalation is uh, death-threatening letters I'm receiving uh, very often. I'm going to police, uh, but, you know, it's anonymous and it's very, very uh, hard to, to do anything about that. The main problem, if you ask me about that, is that we normalize not normal things. 
and uh, for me these threats are part of my life for the last few years and my friends are laughing at that with the last that threat when i went public at that moment i realized how not normal it is because so many people contacted me and they wanted to give support and they were really afraid scared about it and then you know you realize that what i find normal is really not normal so how did you become that celebrity historian i decided to step out from my office my colleague historians usually are producing some papers and some articles and maybe some books but you know in croatia we are 4 million people and if you sell a book in 1000 copies 1000 it's big deal it's my duty in society which is ill with the past that i as an expert for history i should react and uh, i realized that uh, writing just uh, uh, scientific articles or books is not enough so i step out to public i start to be present in public space uh, i'm giving a lot of interviews going to tv shows Uh, shooting uh, documentaries uh, uh, going to panel discussions all around uh, the region for example i'm writing a column for one internet portal and let's say maybe 100,000 people read it so it's much much bigger than writing articles some historians maybe find me as maybe you're nostalgic or maybe a left oriented and i really care about different uh, interpretations different stories different narratives different memories and i'm really not afraid of them and uh, uh, on contrary i'm always asking for that dialogue but you know we are still living in uh, uh, although we have democracy for last 30 years we are living in society of monologues not uh, dialogues we can't we don't know to speak with uh, those who are thinking uh, different than, than we are thinking that's my challenge to find out and to to talk to discuss about different views on life than it was mine during the same period all that said what is your next big project of course there are a lot of themes from a lot of periods or a lot of persons from communist period or from second world war period but I mean last few years I'm more interested in this dealing with the past process so why there is huge problems with dealing with if you ask me obvious things why is problem to say that Croatians were also war criminals and why is hard to say that Serbs also uh, got uh, huge victims although they were or some of them were I don't know rebels and or they were uh, aggressors whatever That's the reason I am thinking maybe to write a book about case studies uh, about dealing with the past for example we are always talking about german case study but what about spanish what about greek but then uh, rwanda is very very interesting case study sierra leone or lebanon so maybe i would like to find out differences similarities maybe some opportunities from different perspectives from different societies which also once in the history uh, got some kind of war or trauma so i think that could be my next project
I spoke with Hervoye the day after the 28th anniversary of the Vukovar massacre. All around Zagreb, votive candles, mostly red ones and some emblazoned with the Croatian flag, burned in clusters at intersections, on street corners, beneath statues and monuments and memorials. Trying to make sense of the past and how it lives on today, I wonder what the best way forward is. Of course, Hervoye beat me to it. The year before, in his column for net.hr, he wrote, Today, Dresden and Hiroshima are among the most desirable cities to live in Germany and Japan. And it was the painful past they never forgot that these cities used as an incentive and a challenge in building a brighter future. It is important to commemorate the Vukovar victims at least once a year. It is even more important to be proud of Vukovar on all other days of the year. The reason for this pride will forever remain the tragedy that its citizens experienced in the past. But above all, that reason must be the successes that its citizens will achieve every day in the future. End quote. It is this forward-facing outlook that I, along with so many people I speak with in former Yugoslavia, find missing in today's political narratives. Of course, this is a global phenomenon, as Hungarians and Americans and Brits and the Japanese and many other nations can attest. But it is here, in Croatia and other ex-Yugoslav countries more than elsewhere, that history continues to be used and manipulated and, yes, revised for the pursuit of power rather than built upon for the betterment of the people. And it is here, more than anywhere else, that we need to talk about it. That's all for this episode of Remembering Yugoslavia. Thank you for listening. Find resources, subscription links, and ways to support the podcast at rememberingyugoslavia.com slash podcast. And if you'd like to help ensure the success of Remembering Yugoslavia, please leave us a rating or review on your favorite podcast listening app or chip in on Patreon. Outro music, courtesy of Robert Petric. Additional music by No Sense, licensed under Creative Commons. I am Peter Korchniak. Bok. <laughs>